0: The subject of the evening talk is contentment with little. In the old uh, texts, in in the Buddhist texts, there is a passage there where the Buddha has listed a number of the qualities of a mature human being and among them is this phrase that one who is uh, mature is one who is content with little and it's such a phrase and particularly noticeably in the very world which we live in, seems to go against all the messages which we receive day in and day out. And to live and develop an outlook of mind, of genuine contentment with little, in some respects, is to stand back away and away from the barrage of information which comes to us which says you can't be content with little. And so we often we find ourselves day in and day out as it were caught in a crossfire. It's the crossfire of one, we might say, our own past, all those conditioned tendencies that you and I have which tell us again and again the more the better, and the external situation through the advertising, through the media, through the TV, etc., etc., uh, which keeps coming to us, which is also telling us the more the better. And so with the combination of what is flowing into us combined with what is flowing out of us easily produces inside of ourselves and reinforces the drive for more. And at times when this Bikar has a has a fierceness to it, our action for more or for better in some way or other becomes quite um, compulsive. Sometimes we notice this not so much in the relentless acquisition of possessions but more Um, and on occasions when it becomes quite specialized. As an example, there there is, one has seen something outside of oneself which one is uh, attracted to, a particular item or object, inwardly there is the, uh, the tendency of mind to move towards that and the mind gains a kind of fixation of idea a particular form, particular shape, particular color, or whatever it may be, and in that fix, fixation of image, which is set inside of oneself, it brings about a certain kind of drive inside of oneself. And I'm sure we've all experienced this in our daily life situation, where our mind has become fixed on one thing which I want, one thing which I must have, and it's quite unable to accommodate something which is slightly different. And this, this is a, a, a somewhat typical uh, example in ourselves when the mind has, has got a fixation, owing to latent tendencies inside, owing to information from outside and the mind is compelled to go in a particular way towards something. And sometimes it's just a slight variation in the color of a piece of garment. When I was a man Talking about colour of garl- garment. <laughs> when I was a it reminds me. When I was a, a monk years ago, we we were living in the the forest, and owing to the, particularly owing to the degree amount of sunlight that would would come onto the robes, uh, every few months we would dye our robes, and one from the bark of some tree in the forest, one could take the robe and we'd uh, make a fire and, and a, a big bowl and the bark would create this kind of uh, dye for the robe and, and you heat the water up and put the robe in. And it used to be quite extraordinary the, the, the degree of um, <laughs> worry <laughs> that when you put this robe in, I mean it's the only piece of clothing that you had, so you didn't want to blow it, you see, so. (laughs) (laughs) And that when we would would put the robe in, you never quite knew what would come come out, what you would pull out. And so there would be this situation where sometimes one would not only be, there'd be a collective robe, dying, situation going on in the forest and it wouldn't be just one's own robe but some other monks would say oh if you're doing your robes maybe you do mine as well You see? so say sure put it all in and then you put it all in and you're just waiting for the colour to, 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 to turn out all wrong with all the kind of uh, uh, waves of agitation and sometimes it was just as if it was a bit too dark or a bit too light or a bit one way or a bit the other. And it's, I mean, just a small example in, in the way that the mind gets fixed. And in the fixation of mind, in one way or other, there's no flexibility. And that, that kind of mind which we get uh, stuck with at times, is a sort of mind in our life which very much shows itself in this uh, material world. And that obviously is something quite different in life from having preferences. Preferences g- are there when, and there's a flexibility which can go with preferences, but it's when one is stuck. I want this to be like this, I won't accept anything else. In looking too at the, this this contentment with little, and and in some respect, particularly at this time, it's becoming something of an expression in life. I would say of a social and ecological awareness. This learning to be content with little. It's this attitude of mind with regard to those things, those things and possessions which we have in la have in life, towards Not only being aware of the excesses of demands of what we want, but also with regard to what we have, learning to appreciate in a way that helps to make things last. And really bringing that kind of attitude into those things which we have already. How to make things, learning to make things last. And there's a whole kind of quality of rela- relationship to having what's needed, having that for a continuity in time, and through that, one's it, it has a simplifying effect upon one's life. And if, if you and I consciously choose to live in that way, One also has to remember, of of course, that living in that way means that one is in direct conflict with the mainstream of thinking in society. There's an example of a story which I uh, like to tell when I, uh, some years ago, I gave a retreat in in Spain and we had, uh, after the retreat, we were invited out to a meal. That, that is, the organizers of the uh, uh, retreat they, um, in, f- um, in fact, were, um, worked very much with the Krishnamurti uh, um, Foundation. And they had asked for a retreat to take uh, place there in uh, Madrid. And then a group of us um, went to uh, a restaurant one evening. And one of the people who came, who wasn't on the retreat, I hadn't uh, met before, was a, a businessman and ext- um, by suit, extremely successful uh, person. <laughs> and we got into a conversation, in the, uh, and he was quite interested in asking what I what I did and the kind of background to that, the, um, the motives behind it, and. Uh, and the kind of emphasis. And during the course of that conversation, we also touched upon um, the kind of the lifestyle which uh, myself and uh, many others, many here too, of course, choose to to lead. And sometimes it may express itself in the preference to, as much as possible, um, use... um, 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 these closed shops which are operated, what we have in England, which are operated by charities and they uh, use clothes, second-hand uh, clothes, and um, one purchases the clothes in these places and they're e- extraordinarily uh, uh, cheap. Or um, as someone very kindly here, um, just yesterday said to Gwenwin and I, um, here's the uh, the key of the, the boot of uh, my car. My uh, um, mother um, has put a big box of clo- um, unwanted clothes in there, and perhaps there may be some things in there which are suitable. And no sooner had that been said than we were down at the car, <laughs> 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 and, uh, and 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 uh, there's again some some just very useful useful clothes there. So not saying that this is how you should live, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> so it, I was speaking to this uh, businessman about, uh, about this who was uh, running a, a factory, and uh, therefore a producer. He's, he said to us, if you, he said, society consists of two groups of people, both obviously connected and if you are not directly involved in those two groups of people in an obvious way you are threatening the foundations of this entire society <laughs> 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 and he said that and these two groups of people are producers and consumers <laughs> <laughs> and society is based on this level alone Anything else threatens that. Oh. So I said, well, I'm delighted <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to have the privilege of being such a threat. <laughs> and, and from his uh, particular perspective, given the need to, in his factories, as he said, every year one has to keep Modifying the goods, keep changing the goods, keep them up to date with uh, modern technology and, and machinery, etc., etc., so that there's the the appeal to the consumer that something new is being offered, which will in turn make one feel dissatisfied with what is old, and that and and if this rhythm and pattern isn't maintained then all the, some of the basic principles and values of society are truly threatened when people don't conform to this principle of producing and consuming and constantly changing. Quite a message. Quite a message. And so where people are to some degree or other um, stepping back from that, not rejecting that rather important basis of, of society, but simply not making it a priority in society. One in turn is questioning and looking at one's own values. One also in turn is not feeding that compulsion. And certainly, if I may say, in alternative politics, in the Green Movement, and all that is implied in that, there is a questioning of this relentless activity of producing, consuming, producing, consuming, and the earth resources being exploited monstrously as a result. So in our Life in looking at some of those major areas which we have of possessions and things. How can oneself develop an outlook, an attitude of mind of discontentment with what one has? You know, and the the, the thing, the phenomena of that is in life when we develop that, and what I find is that if one is, as it were, a very infrequent shopper so to speak. If one uh, does, engages in that activity rarely rather than frequently, there's a special kind of quiet pleasure in it. But when it's a day-to-day activity, I'm certainly not for people uh, here, I hope, that where it's a day-to-day activity, the mind only looks in that way. It's completely tied to one way of being. The retreat situation in relationship to uh, that situation amongst any of the values which it has is one which learns and reminds us of that phrase which has been generated on for thousands of years by thoughtful people of contentment with little. And it is quite noticeable and extraordinary that that as one's own practice and being in touch with oneself develops and deepens, so many of the things which preoccupy the mind, and the kind of chatter of the mind which we get caught up in at the material level become less and less important. Not because of denial and suppression and rejection, not because one is trying to create some um, ascetic image inside of oneself of being a very austere, detached, aloof individual, but lots of things just rather effortlessly fall away, and a lot of the, the wants of our mind fall away because something else difficult to define is presenting itself. So so rather that contentment with little is towards a more effortless way of living. One doesn't feel that one wants more. One feels that life is offering so much to us again and again and that what the best things in life which are offered are not available in the marketplace. One really feels that and knows that and, and senses that in 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 one's bones. So this awareness and development development of mind of contentment with little is in some respect in in terms of transformation inside of us is making a fresh kind of emphasis. Normal emphasis, if one is a very normal human being having um, adopted or identified with consciously or unconsciously with normal values the tendency of mind primarily must be to want to go out towards. The tendency of mind and the primary interests of mind must be not only to want to go out towards this or that, but to have, to make a possession of. The more out of touch we are with our, with ourselves, therefore more insecurity, therefore to compensate for this feeling of insecurity, one wishes to feel secure, and in the society's way of solving this insecurity is to go out to get more in order to feel more secure. The, the, the pattern which one notices with ones, where, for those of you who are, are parents, when the child is feeling uh, in, insecure, the child reaches, identifies with something, holds onto it, clings to it, becomes, makes a a strong possession of it, becomes very possessive to feel secure. And that syndrome of mind in our insecurity through alienation means the driving force goes out to get to try to feel secure. And we do it again and again and again, and the more out of touch, the more insecure. So it's not at all unusual that the people who have the most in life are the most insecure. Sometimes this whole area of contentment with little, which means developing a mind which is more insecure, theref- more secure, <laughs> <laughs> rather than, uh, just to say that, <coughs> to see if you're listening. <coughs> <laughs> um, this development of mind to find greater security um, in, inside of oneself through being in touch with oneself, at times, because of the changing s- external circumstances of life, sometimes completely unexpected, really present a real challenge to us. That may show itself as an example, you've had something, a possession. And you've had it for a long period of time. And that that possession one has got used to, has become familiar, familiar with, and in becoming familiar with one assumes that the relationship will have a continuity. And something changes. That object gets broken, that object gets stolen, that object gets lost, someone borrows it and doesn't return it, etc, etc. And in those periods of time one can see to what degree one has built up an identification with that. And so again, simply by having more is no um, proof in itself of insecurity, because it's just as easy to feel very insecure, not because one has a lot in life, but because one has very much identified with what one has. And if one identifies with what one has, one cherishes, one gives it sentimental value, one clings to, one sets the seeds for suffering over. And everything, as one of the frequent messages as you all know in meditation practice, everything changes, everything changes. So there's never any guarantee for us of a continuity of relationship with what we have. Does our mind want to hear that? Do we really want to hear that? Let me give you an example. I don't think the person will mind me um, telling. She's not here. That's why. She <laughs> <laughs> the person, the friend, is um, works with gold, and uh, she is a, an artist. Uh, uh, working with gold, um, taking gold and u- and making it, um, using it to make rings, to make necklaces, to make. Uh, earrings and quite a, a lot of this work which she has made over the years, um, some some of it she has um, appreciated um, very much and she's simply, understandably enough, just preferred not to sell it. And she's kept it, she kept it at, at home. And she's been doing this work for uh, more than twenty years and she had a accumulated a wide variety of work which she has done with gold and her friends kept saying to her, look with the increase in the price of gold over the years you don't keep it at home. (laughs) Very practical minded friends and and so, so for months she she just had kept it in a, a box, and then finally she decided that yet they they were right, and she decided to put it in a, a safe box, in the biggest bank, in one, in a capital city for safekeeping. And she did. And as she said in terms of uh, monetary uh, worth um, over the years, the, this work that she had uh, produced had, uh, had now come to be worth quite a considerable amount of money. Within a few months of her putting this gold, mm-hmm. you can, you, you can <laughs> guess, can't you, all right, <laughs> in this safe deposit box, in, in the safest bank in the capital city of this... capital the city of this... Uh, uh, country, someone, or a gang, this isn't in, um, in uh, the States by the way, <laughs> in case you're feeling insecure <laughs> about it. <that. laughs> um, a gang broke in and they took 750 safe boxes, That's a lot, and this is a place in Europe, the person, the people who put their possessions there you cannot insure all that she was entitled to was she said told me about a thousand dollars you can imagine not only the money but twenty years of work the best of her work had gone into that safe box and the impact on, on her, I mean, the feeling of loss, the feeling of being disheartened, and all the human responses emerging out of that were such that, the, the, that, as she said, she just didn't realize the degree of attachment that had developed over the years until the loss occurred. She just never thought it, that she could have so much so many sleepless nights over this event. All too human. So it's important in our life and in our relationship to what we have and in our relationship to what we don't have, to have that kind of clearness of mind which knows something intuitively and deeply. Nothing is guaranteed to last. And there's nothing bad or negative or destructive about the reality of that, providing that you and I in our life, and in those things which we have had for a period of time, we can adjust to that reality. Living with reality of life frees the mind from pain. So, that, so uh, there, there needs to be in our life a knowingness about the way things really are. Not how you and I might like them to be, either for ourselves or for others, but the way things are in this world that we live in. And so the peace of mind in our life comes because we know how things are. We know the reality of things. And that we can give ourselves time to ask ourselves, am I getting caught up in this? Am I becoming attached to this? Am I clinging onto this? Is my consciousness becoming restricted by this, or whatever? And the willingness to look with care, and, to, and sometimes, particularly if things where one is particularly attached to, to look at that object, that thing, whatever it might be, and just have a balanced awareness, just for a few moments of being clear. This is this, that is that, free from a possessive attitude, can be so inwardly so healthy. Sometimes the possessiveness comes up not with regard to something material as such but something immaterial. Sometimes it occurs in a meditation retreat. One comes into the meditation hall and someone's sitting in one space. And there's just a space, but through having sat in that particular space for a day or a day or two, it becomes my space. As though that when one wrote in to come and attend a tender re- uh, tender retreat here, that one had purchased a piece of space. <laughs> I mean, as you know, the... the extraordinary Indian culture can never understand the white man's mentality of going out to the west uh, a century ago and actually purchasing a piece of land. The whole concept was foreign to the Indian culture. (laughs) How can you buy land? How can you buy air? How can you buy space? So in the reality of the world we live in, a tendency to make ownership Of, I mean, there's a useful and practical sense for that, of course, but sometimes it goes in where it's unnecessary. We make a possession of it because we become tied to something like my space, my cup, my spoon, my place at the table, whatever it is, my time, etc., etc., and so in our Being aware in our meditation practice, not only of our breath, not only what's occurring here, but the way inside of ourselves that the possessive element comes in. Where in our practice the sense of mine comes in. And all that's implied in that mine. And if we can catch ourselves in many, many small ways that it occurs, and in that very moment that's occurring, that possessiveness in our practice, the stopping in that moment, the being aware of that, and just settling into the moment once again. So that the power of my space, my this, my that, be- the, that power of holding begins to lose some of its substance. And freeing and freeing oneself in real terms is freeing oneself from possessiveness, from clinging, from grasping, from holding on to. And in our being in touch with ourselves, that alone gives one the feeling of genuine security in life. So that that message of, a long time ago, contentment with little, or the the Christian uh, message is harder for the rich man, or put it more, harder for the possessive person to get into the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So in in, in those kind of old religious uh, messages expressed in different ways in the past and in in the present, as far as our spiritual practice is concerned, it's seeing the mind which is reaching out and clinging and holding and being possessive. And in that change, coming inside of ourself, it's also one more real contribution to changing the emphasis of the mainstream of outlook in our society. That by changing ourselves, we begin to see there is more to life than just producing and consuming. May all beings be content with little. May all beings be inwardly secure. May all beings live in peace. If we have a four or five minute quiet period after the uh, talk each evening, just a few minutes together, which is a period for a little meditation, a little reflection, Um, sometimes possibly a a point is mentioned in the course of the talk, which is of um, appropriate relevance to oneself in one's uh, life situation, and these minutes and other periods, of course, during the day may possibly can be used rather usefully, fruitfully t- to develop one's own uh, inner awareness of these uh, realities of our life and our relationship to them. So if we have a few minutes, quiet period together.